All right. So how was that for everyone? Right. I mean, some people hear that and they're, they're like, yes, let's go. You know, what is this? You know, I'm excited. Some people probably really on edge. Anxiety city, right? Terrified. You know, and that's really what we're looking at today is some of the impacts that, you know, true crime could have on mental health and really starting to, to look at that more because true crime is super popular. Everyone you talk to, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, my favorite murder, I think is the name of the podcast or I, I believe a couple of years ago, like the, um, what was it? The Zac Efron when he was Ted Bundy, right? Oh, that sort yeah. of kicked it in high gear. And it's just, it's, it, you'd be hard pressed to look through the TV listings without finding something on true crime. Well, even SNLs, you know, making fun of it. It's, they do with everything. And so murder right. shows, yeah. right? Murder they, show, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a skit they had recently. Yeah. And I think even way back when I think they're starting to remake like old murder mystery books like that I read as a kid, I, mm -hmm. I saw that too. So something very popular right now. Oh yeah. It's huge. And really with that, cause I remember I'm aging myself a bit here, but I remember being, you know, growing up, right. Being younger and anybody that was into like checking out books from the library that were, you know, was on like serial killers at that time and place. You're like, Oh man, I'm going to end up on a list or something. You know, it's like, I just, order the anarchist cookbook or something, you know, just way outside, you know, out of bounds. Right. So, and, and once upon a time, yeah, they, they used to actually use that kind of stuff for profiling, right. Like, you know, to, to help track criminals. How into this stuff are they? Right. Yeah. So the fact that it's shifted so much more into the just mainstream popular culture, and, and now it's, you know, practically number one in some ways, particularly among uh, women, which is also another thing that we'll, we'll touch on. Mm -hmm. Kind of wanted to just start there. Right. And say like, okay, what's, what's the deal, right? What's the fascination with it? So a couple different things. Interesting enough that one of, one of these comes from criminal def defense attorney um, named Michael Dye. And he said, um, it allows people to be armchair de detectives. Problem solvers. Yeah. Yeah. So armchair detectives. There's another one too. We are curious about what drives people to do the unthinkable. So that's another part. Like, why are people invested in this? Again, just some different ideas of why people are drawn to it. Mm -hmm. We want to preserve our belief in justice. That's one, right? Yeah, so we want to know that we can be safe. Yeah. Right. So okay. You know, does does this work? Let me see if somebody can be attacked and you know not uh, have the person get away. Mm -hmm. Right. Three uh, is, is another one here on, on this list. Uh, we're drawn to the adrenaline of fear. Oh, for sure. For some people, you know, that is, that is adrenaline based, right? They get really, like you said, pumped up. How was that for you? Oh, it pumped me up. It got me excited. Why do we watch horror flicks? Yeah. To be scared. Right. Mm -hmm. So professor of sociology and criminology, Scott Bond said the public is drawn to these stories because they trigger the most basic and powerful emotion in all of us, which is fear. Right. So very uh, primal fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Right. And for those that don't know, fight or flight, you know, it's a very um, animalistic sort of instinct. Yeah, Imagine, stress response. Yep, stress response. Imagine we're go back in the day, way back in the day, right? We're fighting a saber-toothed tiger, <laughs> you know, and am I going to fight this thing or am I going to run from it, mm -hmm. right? So very, you know, kind of ingrained in us. Another reason here is that we're driven by our own longing for survival. That one is really curious, right? It's like we we want to know the boogeyman, right? We want to know what's the worst 
that could happen. So like Freud, right? If we were going to get into psychodynamic a bit, mm-hmm. he would talk about Eros versus the Natos. Okay. Right. So Eros is love essentially, mm-hmm. okay. right? Uh, and the Natos is death. So there's two different drives that Freud would, would say we would have. Mm-hmm. One being a, a love instinct, right? We're, we're driven to love. We're driven to act in, in a way that promotes love, love of ourselves, love of others, right? Heroism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So sort of that moral code, moral alignment, you mm-hmm. know, and then also death instinct, right? And what that basically means is that we have an unconscious desire to return to an inorganic state. That's where we came from. So we're constantly trying to get back there. Mm. Right. And the more that we're acting or allowing our, our death instinct to kind of drive us, you know, that's how people end up in substance use or people end up with, you know, issues that, that are, are sort of undoing self-sabotage, yada, yada, yada. Right. It's like we're driven to survive, but we're also driven for death. Yeah. So it's literally that inst- that instinct. So the more we can push it one way, obviously, you know, you can imagine your life sort of goes in one direction towards the love or, you know, you end up not just watching the show, but being the person on the show. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's curious because jokes are much the same way, right? They say sex, poop, and death. Right. right. <laughs> so yeah. Kind of follows a very just <laughs> similar path, right. but different sort of psychological. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, so rather than uh, fear being the motivator there, right, it's something that's more like our own survival instincts, mm-hmm. right, that we, that we want to see there. So these are reasons why people are drawn to it. I mean, the American Journal of Public Health says, too, that there is an association between um, the fear of crime and mental health functioning. So um, here it says, uh, fear of crime was associated with poor mental health and reduced physical functioning, both, you know, based on what they could see on paper, like what was actually happening for them and what the person felt. So they actually struggled more if they had a, a fear of crime. Mm-hmm. And so taking that and putting it in the sense of, I'm going to watch these shows. I'm going to, you know, fight that fear. Like you said, that survival sort of instinct, mm-hmm. or, you know, what does this do for me watching these things? I have this sort of like fear that I don't tell anyone. I enter into, enter into watching these shows. And you said, the majority of them were women in one of those articles that you read? Yeah, yeah. Overwhelmingly, okay. I think it was like 80% wow. plus. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're home alone maybe. And how do we combat this fear of, of being there? Mm-hmm. Easy access to, as they say, exposure. You yeah. know, understanding that. Yep. It's like an, almost a exposure therapy mm-hmm. that yeah, you can be. do at home. Well, and, and trauma-based responses too. You know, that's something where we have this this need to be resilient over situations. And if we've never, you know, we want to know that we can overcome back mm-hmm. into that, that death instinct or drive for survival. We want to know that we can overcome, even if we're never faced with it. Um, I think a little bit of desensitization to things like the news and certain stories. And like we talked about horror films and things like that. We want to know, well, first of all, we know now that these things are a reality, mm-hmm. right? Even if they're, you know, Hollywood overplayed, made into a movie, they're very much in our, in our awareness now. Mm-hmm. So we want to know that it's a opportunity ever arose. Can we fight that? Do we know what to do? Can we problem solve it? You said armchair detective, detective right? Yeah. yeah. So are we capable enough to fight it? What's really interesting here about, was it my favorite murder the podcast, which is mm-hmm. uh, hugely popular, right? Looking at, uh, which I haven't, listen to it, but uh, there was a 
uh, a portion here, and it said that one of their main uh, go-tos, fuck politeness, right? So fuck politeness essentially is an empowering statement because now you have permission to not do things that are going to put you in danger. So it comes up whenever a host recalls a woman who put herself in danger because she didn't want to be rude, mm-hmm. right? Like agreeing to speak privately with a stalker or stopping to help somebody that's dangerous, like on a dark road. The social or, expectations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like you're making sure that you're not worried about being polite, right? It becomes like this battle cry, mm-hmm. which basically says like, oh, fuck being polite. I'm going to, you know, um, get away from this situation. Yeah. I don't care what society thinks I should do or what I've been taught to do. You know, it's, it's like, if it's danger, go, right? Well, and it's go, it kind of goes back to the thing we talk about a lot, which is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you raise awareness, especially self-awareness, you know, we're watching these shows. We see, oh, they could have reacted that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we build that, that you're talking about. You know, maybe I don't, maybe, you know, fuck politeness. I know I don't have to respond that way if I feel uneasy. Mm-hmm. Right. So th- looking at it like, like uh, my favorite murder, mm-hmm. right? To me, this is, this is a big benefit, right? Because it's exploring it. You get to see it. And then now you're starting to, okay, um, I'm also learning that, you know, some skills here, mm-hmm. right? Things that could keep me safe, particularly, you know, as a woman. For sure. So. And and going back into the, the trauma responses, you know, the help with that for, for trauma. And if you struggle with safety or, or feelings of safety, um, they say is, is post-traumatic growth, right? And so you grow by having resources, by building resilience. And one of the ways we do that is that awareness. You know, if I was ever in this, this, this situation again, what would I do? What would I want to do? And so by watching some of these shows, I, I feel maybe, you know, we're building some resilience. We're, we're learning, oh gosh, if I, if I ever found myself, you know, in that dark alley or feeling like I was asked to go with someone, I would right. want to, I'd want to be, you know, socially appropriate and kind and, you know, yeah, responsive. Oh, oh, you need a ride. Yeah. Let me yeah, help no you with problem. the tire. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But am I putting myself in a situation I'm unaware of? Right. So, you know, raising that awareness. I think I saw a book uh, the other day, you know, pretty captivating title. It was it's something like how to stay sexy and not get murdered. <laughs> right. Which is essentially like a, a modern dating guide, I think uh, is what it was. Oh, really? And, yeah. Looking at different ways that you can, you know, be safe. Right. So I would score one point for these, you know, true crime or anything in this, mm-hmm. in this world. Uh, score one point for good, right? Mm-hmm. If it's if it's helping people yeah. learn skills to stay safe. Definitely. Right? So one point to the good. There was also this, let's see, study here, 94 study uh, conducted by Penn State, Professor of Communications uh, and Psychology, Mary Beth Oliver. She was looking at how reality-based police shows can influence public attitudes of crime, race, and aggression. I mean, as I think about it, I think of crime shows, the first word that comes to mind is profiling, right? Oh, mm-hmm. profiling this or that. And and really, you know, some of those demographics are, are just, you know, they're portrayed in that way. Mm-hmm. So I think it's part of what that article was saying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So looking at the influence that it has there, right? Okay. Such as mentally ill characters on television shows are portrayed as 10 times more likely to be a violent criminal than a non-mentally disordered character. So we're looking at, they found that the emphasis on crime shows for mentally ill people was that they've always been stereotypes there of dangerous, aggressive, unpredictable, and untrustworthy. So the connotations um, are that mentally ill individuals on these shows are dangerous. You know, so that's, again, 
we're looking at stigma, mm-hmm, right? And we sure. know, I think last month was, you know, uh, mental health awareness month, right? And the stigma, the shows, you know, you're, you're, it's cause essentially a lot of these are, are, you know, your law and orders or, you know, things of that nature. And they're a little bit different, right? Not true crime necessarily, but again, in that wheelhouse, what's that doing to promote the stigma? Well, right. and is someone, you know, being that armchair detective and going, well, I have anxiety, you know, I get irritable. Mm. Oh, you know, I've had these thoughts of like rage and aggression, you know, mm-hmm. what, what if, what if I could go there? Mm-hmm. So does that help them seek treatment or does that help because of that stigma, them kind of back away and Push not tell anybody? In. Yeah. 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 I think that's a huge point, right? Cause I mean, there are individuals out there that have mental health issues, mm-hmm. right? They are not just automatically prone to to go on murderous rampages, no. right? So, if these you know shows are, are promoting, I guess that these are one and the same, or mm-hmm. you know one could lead to the other, and, and that one does lead to the other, right? Because you know, that's that level of stigma that this will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think just being mindful at that point of like, okay, what am I watching? Are they suggesting this, mm-hmm. right? And if so, right, like is can can I spot that and kind of go, yeah, that's, that doesn't jive. Right. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about with this. This one's a little older, 1974. So they're probably talking about Dragnet or something here. <laughs> Children watching crime shows. Mm-hmm. So Dominic 74, 1974 found in a study that when kids were would watch crime shows, they were actually more likely to become aware of law enforcement and civil liberties. So children were able to identify police personnel more and those who were more likely to watch more crime shows were able to better better identify these individuals as law enforcement. So essentially um, what that's saying is that kids were able to, to, you know, say, okay, you know, if you're in danger, go grab a, um, you know, a policeman or a policewoman or whoever. They were able to do that easier, right? Which, I mean, stands to reason. Right, because the shows, you know, center around that. Yeah, and but, those are portrayed as the good guys, right? And right. so it may give them a little bit different view, and that's always been the benefits of television and movies. Like we get a little bit different perspective, mm-hmm. and that's and that's always the fight too that we get a little bit different perspective. And I think video games as well. You know, the more we kind of open up for kids, right? Give them more resources, give them more understanding. Just at what level is that good and healthy and solid? Which is always the argument, and what is dangerous. Right. And I think too, that you can't have this conversation without looking at privilege, right? And, you know, so looking at white privilege and and understanding how that factors in too, right? Mm -hmm. So. Who's portrayed as the good guys. Right. I think it's one of those too, where, you know, if you ask about the prison system or, you know, who's a criminal in this show and, you know, how are they being portrayed? Who are they being portrayed by? There was a, a little study here that, so two groups that are portrayed stereotypically in crime shows are of blacks and whites. Blacks are typically typically disproportionately featured on these shows as criminals, mm-hmm. right? So many crime television series tend to include the majority of black criminals and white police officers. Mm-hmm. However, 69.3% um, of all individuals arrested for crimes were white. 28.1% black, 2.6 um, other races. And that's uh, 2009, so fairly timely, fairly recent. So, but again, you know, the unevenness 
of what portrayal. we actually see yeah, portrayal yeah. on TV versus yeah. what is actually happening in the world. Is that right? reality? And that's something that we can judge for ourselves too. You mm-hmm. know, when we see people around, when we see police officers, you know, is this something that seems right? Are they, you know, is it always the white good guy? Because they would say that's probably not the case. Right. The disproportionate prejudice that's portrayed by these shows. So if someone does have a fear of someone else, right? How is this? Is this helping? Is this hurting? Back right. into the profiling, right? Yep. Why are we portraying people this way? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go racism equals bad. So let's score <laughs> negative one for this genre. Right? So at least on that one, if we're, if we're scorekeeping. Another one here. I, I want to go back to the what you said about post-traumatic growth, mm-hmm. right? So- Exploring this from the trauma perspective a bit, because mm-hmm. here here we have majority of the the viewers, the listeners are women, okay. right? So if we were looking at it just from trauma, and let's say that there's a woman who is you know very much enjoys um, true crime, you know, or any crime sort of drama, has experienced trauma. I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on some of those stress responses. Um, yeah, I mean, part of the stress response could be. Like we talked before, a little bit of that exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I want to kind of maybe open up some awareness around is reported, right? The majority of viewers are women. Mm-hmm. So and reported, uh, the majority of, you know, trauma survivors are women. Mm-hmm. Um, though that's not always the case. You know, if you sit down and you talk with someone, it can be any gender really, mm-hmm. you know, that struggles with trauma and they may not be willing to say anything back into that stigma part. Mm-hmm. Right. However, you know, as we're looking at why are we watching these things? Why are we drawn to them? What are we doing? What are we getting from them? So the trauma response could simply be, I'm going to expose myself to this. I'm going to see what other choices I could have made. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what could keep me safe? There's another level too of maybe we're testing these waters and we go a little too far. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, um, psychological thrillers are not something I can generally watch. It's mm-hmm. something that puts me on just that, just enough edge that if I, if I watch too much, if I see the wrong thing, I may think about it for a while mm-hmm. and I may have to go in and talk to someone about who, you know, I watched it and I thought I was going to enjoy it and it was too much for me. Right. Um, so I think that that resilience, internal resilience that we have, resources that we have to make sure that we know we're safe, we know we're good, we know our trauma responses are not going to be triggered or if they are, what to do about it. Like trauma responses like such as? Such as, um, so being on edge, being hypervigilant, ruminating. Right. Mm-hmm. We get this reminder of a memory or even just this thought of something scary that can happen. Right. We start to think about it too much. Intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things are sort of trauma symptoms, oftentimes you know, based on things that have happened in our past. It may not directly correlate, but certainly something we struggle with on a daily basis. And so sometimes watching these shows can, like you said, the excitement, right? Oh, it's okay. I've got this. It's mm-hmm. exciting. I know exactly what I would Heart do. Heart rates right? up. Okay, yeah, but, yeah, but it's problem solving. I know it. I could do it all. I, I, you would never have that problem, right? I would get that guy, like you said, justice. Mm-hmm. The other end of that is, oh, that's a lot. You know, it's really scary. I don't know. I don't know what to do about this now. Now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the show. I'm thinking about my past, you know, and, and I'm right. triggered essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do have to be very careful. And I would say anybody who has um, trauma experiences, PTSD, or heightened stress response, be careful. That makes sense. And, you know, because, I mean, if we're, you know, just talking brass tacks, right? It's like, okay, what'd you do today? I got up, had some cereal, 
watch this show. Somebody's head got cut off in the first five minutes, right? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay, you know, I mean, because that's that's literally what it is, right? Certainly not something I do before yeah. 8 a.m. <laughs> I don't go there. <laughs> so it's funny when you say it out loud, mm-hmm. right? It's easy to sort of lose yourself in the, you know, the idea of it, mm-hmm. right? But we know that we know that if we take in too much consumption of anything that that we're we're not prepared for, yeah. right? You were talking about post-traumatic growth, mm-hmm. right? So as I understand it, you know, most people are familiar with post-traumatic stress, right? Um, PTSD, you know, we think, we think combat uh, veterans typically first yeah. off, um, you know, or witnessing violence or, mm-hmm. you know, atrocities, things of that nature, right? Awful stuff. Post-traumatic growth doesn't get as much um, pub, right? But yeah. that's the equivalent of, let's say, you know, so tragedy happens and a family gets, uh, has a son kidnapped, right? Murdered something, uh, you know, to that degree. They grieve. Of course, it's it's terrible. Yeah. And then years later, right, they start a foundation, right, uh, for other missing children, right? They're very active in that. I think, um, uh, what's the, ge- the gentleman's name? Uh, it escapes me, but on Unsolved Mysteries back, oh, back yeah. in the day or something like that. I think he... Um, or America's Most Wanted, maybe. Mm-hmm. Same kind of deal, right? To where it was this big foundation named after his son. Um, he was doing great work and, and helping a lot of other people. Meaning-making. That's that meaning-making uh, yeah. part of growth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I've got to make this mean something. This happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a big part of post-traumatic growth. Another one is resilience. You know, I know I made it through it once. I know I could do it again. Mm-hmm. And if I feel like I didn't, if I was ever put in that situation, how would I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and being aware of your own responses. I won't let myself go down the dark alley. I'll, I'll be more aware, you know, in the future. Right. So that's where these things, we, we test those waters a little bit and we do it in a safe way, right? We're able to watch it on TV. We're able to turn the TV off and go to bed. Mm-hmm. So much more safety than exposing ourselves in real life to these situations and, and trying to get out of them. Yeah. I mean, what I hear you saying in some of this is that you have to gauge your, you know, where you're at with these things. Right. For sure. So yeah. if, if you can hack it, right. I don't know if that's the best word to use on the true crime, <laughs> but uh, you know, Maybe it is. We'll, we'll say pun intended there. Right. So I'm, I'm funny. Um, no, but if, if, if you can deal with it mm-hmm. and you know, you start to, you know, check the inventory internally and go, okay, is this making me more edgy, more, like you said, hypervigilant, essentially that's like looking around everywhere yeah. over my shoulder in the parking garage because I watched this show, mm-hmm. then the answer might be, okay, this isn't good for me. Yeah. Right. You know, if I'm more irritable, if I, if I, you know, am getting a little more angry or, or rage focused on, on in traffic or with other people, I, I want to be aware of how it's affecting me and my mood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So awareness, kind of the first piece there. <laughs> This isn't in a study or anything. This is just, you know, kind of baseline, right? But coping skills, mm-hmm. right? So as, as therapists, you know, we, we commonly are going to say, okay, your coping skills, what are they? And if somebody comes in and says, well, I, just, I watch true crime pretty much like all the time, right? And that's their main coping skills, their main go-to, okay? How would you, I guess, kind of broach that with them, right? Because it's not about what I like, what you like. Well, hopefully they like it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a coping skill, hopefully it's something enjoyable for them. So, so that's definitely the first start, right? Kind of exploring again, same thing in therapy, self-awareness. So we're building at all times. Why do you like that? 
well, what's enjoyable about it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it the overcome? Is it the understanding? Is it the perspective? You know, definitely exploring the why. Coping skills can typically be broken down into un- unhealthy coping skills and healthy coping skills, mm-hmm. right? So no matter what it is, I mean, people are just doing the best they can. Yep. Just just trying to figure out how to get through day-to-day life. And if they enjoy it and it's great, right, it may be very healthy for them and very mm-hmm. adaptive and they use this and they and they get through, you know, fear or frustration or any of those things and they go into life and have a great day. Yeah. Um, if it's maladaptive, oh, we're so focused on these things and now we're becoming so into uh, mass murderers and and how these crimes take place and we're really getting into, into it and it's consuming our life. You know, what's the reasoning for that? You know, is there cause to be concerned and not so much in a, in a mental health standpoint, but like, what are we searching for? Why is this our focus? Now there, there's a lot more to life and it's interesting that now this is our focus. Mm-hmm. Right. And so thinking a little bit about developmental stuff here, right? So, mm-hmm. so age kind of matters too, but yeah, talking a little bit about just age, right? So brains developing, you know, and just being careful, I suppose, of, of some of this as you know, uh, teenagers, kids are trying to figure out the world, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's ratings on things for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Because as far as developmentally, they understand that, you know, we never know what's going to come into our heads or, you know, our, our, we're going to see something that's going to stick with us. We don't always know when that's going to happen, but certainly certain ages are more influenced than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there are age uh, appropriate guidelines, I think, on most of these shows. Mm-hmm. Yep. So being mindful of that, again, I think where we're coming to with this is that there's some positives. If we're, we're able to kind of, you know, say, I, I guess the best way to say it is if you're aware and if you've done the inventory and made sure, okay, these things aren't, aren't, going, aren't going to be so bad for me that they're going to harm me, right? Then, you know, play ball, right? Go ahead and watch the show, take in what you want. But if, if we are starting to get those sort of responses, like you said, well, then it might be time to back away for a little bit and, and kind of reassess. Yeah, right? I always know like if it's affecting us. Like if I have a nightmare after I watch a show, mm-hmm. you know, I may need to talk to someone about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not be able to watch that show. I may have to watch something else. Mm-hmm. So just being aware of our responses for sure. Lastly, for some, right, these shows are the best thing that they can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there is that too, whether it's uh, sort of exposure therapy, right? Like to where they're saying, hey, you know what? Here's my greatest fear. I'm watching it. You know, I'm facing my fear essentially. Right. And this is lessening my anxiety. So for some, um, it could be huge. It so, can. It's, it may be the difference between I can go out in the world and I can't. Mm-hmm. In the same token, if we don't have that resilience, it can be the difference between I don't go out in the world because right. I'm so afraid. Yeah. I'm adding to it now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Build awareness, making sure that we're, you know, checking the inventory. And, and if you like it, you like it. Right, exactly. You know, and uh, it's good. It's good stories, right? It's good information. It's also very curious and we are curious creatures. All right. Thank you for listening to the Feelings Work podcast here at Sage Counseling Omaha. You can visit us online at www.sagecounselingomaha.com. Sage Counseling is also on Facebook, Sage Counseling Omaha on Instagram. And then the main info that you can get if you need to reach us directly is info at sagecounselingomaha.com.